All right. Hello and welcome. My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. We talk about a lot of things when it comes to endurance training. We talk about running, talk about obstacle course racing, talk about strength training, all that stuff. But today we have Rob Hewitt and Rob is a fantastic endurance coach and has coached at pretty much every level, including high school, uh, the collegiate level, and as well as at the elite club level. So Rob is currently the coach of Philadelphia Runner Track Club, which you'll hear to him refer to as the PRTC. And he's a super smart dude. He's extremely well thought out. He has a serious passion for coaching and creating top level performance. But he's also really, his main interest seems to be developing better human beings that he comes in contact with. So we talk about a lot, including how to take ownership of your workouts in terms of volume and intensity, why and how you should develop absolute speed for the distance runner, and and how to really just approach training for from a nuanced perspective, which I really appreciate. So he does a great job of exploring that. I really, really love chatting with him. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. So stick around the entire time. Here is my guy, Rob Hewitt. All right, Rob, man, I really do appreciate you popping on. Um, we have some history together. We came from the same type of school. Do you, do you, are you connected with St. Joe's much anymore? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I was more connected with St. Joe's before I left to go to Indiana to coach. Um, before that, I was like working at Hawk Harrier Cross Country Camp every summer. Oh, nice. Uh, with Coach Glavin um, and Coach Hamer. So I did that every summer. I brought my high school teams there every summer. And then uh, I, I, I left to go coach in the NCAA, and I've kind of fallen back from that. But I still go to like Hall of Fame inductions for teammates and things like that. So. You know, I'm, I'm not giving money, but, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I would consider myself to be paying attention. I think I did donate at one point. I usually don't, but I donated like a couple bucks, I think earlier this year, just because I was like, fine, <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. They, they wore me down to the point. It's like, all right, like I should give a little bit here or there. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So like I said, I'm really happy to connect and you've had such great success as a coach that, you know, you're someone that I've, I've looked up to and in, in that success and coming from similar backgrounds and like, you know, the, the collegiate systems that we had. So I've been following you a little bit and you've coached a really high level and you get people to perform. And now that you have still coaching in high school, you coach at the collegiate level, and now you're you're taking on um, the role of the coach of the Philly Track Club, who does have some of the fastest runners in the area, right? Like multiple um, Olympic trial qualifiers and, and some really, really fast high performers. So w- w- if you had to kind of boil it down to like your coaching philosophy in, in terms of performance, like do you have anything that's like this overarching thing that you kind of call upon? Like how do you get people to perform this way? Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly have a philosophy for it. I mean, one of my biggest things is that a coach has this responsibility to check off every box an athlete's going to require on race day. Right. So I think the one, like, so I, I coach, I teach middle school, I coach high schoolers, I've coached in college, you know, I coach adults now as well. I've coached 80 year old sprinters. And the one thing that I've like uncovered while, t- while teaching some of my, the youngsters that I teach in the middle school is that they get the most amount of anxiety when they don't un, when they when there's an unknown in their world, right? And so, so my goal as a coach on race day is to remove all the unknowns or remove the anxiety. So they think hmm. just like take this deep breath and know I am prepared, right? And so, what does that mean for each event that you're trying to do, right? So my my biggest philosophy is like, well, let's let's remove the anxiety, let's remove the unknown. 
So that athlete can then say, I've done everything I need to do in practice that I'm being asked to do today. And if that's true, then I feel like the athlete's going to be able to do like uh, perform on that day, you know, and obviously I, I need to disrupt their day in a positive way at times. So I, either by like trying to gear them up or calm them down, um, but you learn each athlete in those respects. Um, but if you check off all the major boxes and don't worry about like trying to be perfect, but just progressing it in a way that makes sense. Um, typically the athlete does really, really well. So when you say checking off the boxes, is this like a mental, like, is, is it a mental exercise in your case? Like where you know the individual person and like their specific goal, or do you literally have like boxes that you kind of go through? It's like, okay, like worked on X, Y, Z, worked on X, Y, Z once an athlete. And are those boxes like the same across the athletes or is it just, is it very like specific? So there's there are two ways I look at it. It's like, all right. So you talk about like knowing the kid or the athlete, right? There's some things where it's like, I know this athlete's super high strung, right? Um, or I know this athlete's super laid back. Like that would, in, that would, that would help me understand a little bit of what boxes to check for them. Like I'd start to like create these mailboxes in my brain about like, what does this athlete need to be successful? But then there's also the event that they're training for, right? A half miler needs to check off different boxes than someone who runs the 10 K. Right. And, and then there's this like, well, do they love to work hard or do they not like to work hard? Like I've got some people who like, if they don't do extra work, they don't feel ready to compete. Right. So, I, so I let them do extra work. Um, I got some people, if they work too hard, they're just mentally toast and they might also be physically toast. So I let them work a little less, right? I think that the one thing that I've learned over my years is that I need to be more flexible with my athletes. And so mm -hmm. writing in ranges allows me to accommodate all that. And then I need to trust that athlete, uh, to be able to make those decisions for themselves. Right. So if I write like, all right, we're going to do four to six by, this this distance with this recovery right the only thing that i'm really the thing that i've like really started to hold on to the most is that the rest will govern the intensity and so i want to hold on to the i hold on to the rest and i let them hold on to the volume um and they mm -hmm. tend to work themselves appropriately especially if i like prime them before the workout saying well here's our goal and if you can say this is true for you walk in this window of success um and if and don't don't change the intent of the day, but but just be successful for yourselves. Um, and I found that the more that I trust my athletes doing that, the better they perform. And it mm -hmm. also gives me a lot of indications on how I fill in the mental boxes of what they're doing. Right. Because then I start to find out like that kid who was like, listen, I don't really like to wade into to pain very often. And when I do it, like I'm going to do it all at once, but I don't want to do it often. But then I got some kids who just want to experience pain all the time. Right. If, if I'm not hurting, I don't feel like I'm getting better. And I, and I want to talk to them about that because I think that's a dangerous philosophy to like for me to be cultivating. Um, but I need to let them work harder. They're just not going to feel prepared. Right. So I, I just don't think we could take this as like a here. Everyone's got to be the square peg in the square hole like that. I think that's dangerous. Um, but we also need to look at the coach in this respect and like, what's this going to make this manageable for you? You can't write 50 workouts. You'll go mm. insane, right? Um, what you need to realize is like write in ranges and allow people to, to decide for themselves what's true. Cause when the gun goes off, if you have embedded a system of workouts that allows people to make decisions in the workout about what makes sense for them, when the gun goes off, they're so much more prepared 
to make decisions for themselves because mm-hmm. the, the athletes making decisions on race day. And if you haven't put that in the workouts, then it's not happening on race day or mm-hmm. innate skills that you're just getting to take advantage of. And well, then at that point, I, they don't really need a coach. So, yeah. So a couple of things on that, that I want to kind of double back on. Um, and you mentioned that you kind of hold on to the rest and that they can kind of take care of the volume. Do they, like, have you found in your experience that the intensity is always met? And are you, and is that a conversation that you're having with that? And like how it could, because it makes sense intuitively, right? It's like, okay, if your rest is only a minute, like you'll know after the first or second rep, like you're gonna need to kind yeah. of pull back and kind of, and, and hold on to some of that energy. And if it's longer, it's like, okay, like push it a little bit and you'll recover some. Yeah. Is that a conversation that you're having? Or is it like, what does that look like in in, in in practice for like the people listening, like if they wanted to kind of put that in, like, what is it? How does that look? All right. So if I took like the classic high school workout of repeat thousands with a minute recovery, if we, if I tell the kids like, here's our goal, five to eight by three, by a thousand meters with a minute recovery. I'm not, I, I give the, I have a sense of what I want the intensity to be. Um, but here's the thing that I would tell them in advance. Like, listen, if you've gotten, if you're done three and you're toast, you ran too hard. Uh, if you finished eight and you're like, coach, I could have done like six more of those. You ran too slow. Hmm. Right. And so this is a long view at, yeah. a, at, a, at a problem. Um, but what, I go back to like, what's my goal as a coach? What's my job as a coach? And my job is to create autonomous individuals who know themselves better, who understand how to like make decisions for themselves better. And my job is to create a st- like an opportunity for them to learn that. Right. And so I've had kids that'll go out there and if they only do three, cause they went, they ran way too hot. I can tell you that like one, they're hurting the workouts done at three. Most coaches would be bummed by that. Cause they're like, Oh, what a waste of a day. And I'm like, nah, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like this kid's going to win. This is, this is amazing. But I know the second workouts, they're going to, they're going to do eight on the second workout. Cause they're going to run too slow. Right. right. But the third workout, the third workout, they get in that five to eight window and if I had a sense of the pace I wanted to see, that kid is within a second or two of that, and it's awesome. And it's incredible, right? But I have now let that child or that adult or that athlete discover that for themselves instead of me dictating to them how fit I think they are, right? Because a lot hmm. of coaches think it's their job to be like, well, you know what? You're, a, you're capable of running this race at this pace, so I'm going to tell you what your fitness is. What happens if it's too slow? And the kid could go better or the athlete can go better. What if it's too fast and like you totally like blow that kid out of the water and you mentally lose them, right? And it becomes stress for them, right? I don't know. I want to leave it more exploratory. This has taken me a bit to get there. I mean, after 16 years of coaching, this is not something I was doing in year one. I won't lie to you. Right. Um, it was something that I was like building towards the last year of my high school coaching at Germantown Friends. It was something I explored a ton at Earlham. And it's now something I'm like, thoroughly implementing where I'm coaching right now at Abington friends. Um, but also implementing it with adults in the Philadelphia runner track club, because adults, they know themselves better than high school kids do. So I need to, I need to put less, I don't have to have them explore as much. I need to push them into worthy corners. Um, but they, they really know, they know they've, they've done so many years of that. I don't need to try to uproot their entire system of self um, to try to get a performance out of them. And the long view you mentioned has to be, I would think the main like barrier 
that comes with this, right? Like, and, and you kind of touched upon just how, you know, kind of how the mindset of pushing more and, and wanting to hurt. And like, that is definitely cultivated, um, you know, ac- across a lot of athletics, right? Like wanting to do more and, and hit it harder then that's going to, how you're, you're going to kind of get your result. So I'd imagine like, and people kind of do that with, with the hope that they will get a, a quicker return a lot of times, right? Unless it is something like, I just like the way I just like to push myself no matter what I'm doing all the time to excess. But the long view is, is really the, the way to approach when it comes to success for endurance athletics. Right. And, and I think that that's, I know when, if I was to prescribe something like that, it'd be more of like a, 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 a short, a short sightedness and just being impatient, like, okay, hit this and make sure you get it. Cause there's a race coming up. Um, and like, we only have this finite window, like how long of, of a long view would you kind of like prescribe for people like, like, who want to, who want to improve and improve quickly? Like, well, how should they kind of set their expectations around that? Well, I would actually argue they'll, they'll improve faster this way. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's the long view. Um, but the long view, so not, so within three weeks of doing a workout cycle, like an athlete tends to adapt over 90% of, they tend to get 90% of the adaptation after three weeks of doing like a stimulus, right? And over four weeks, they get like really close to 100% adaptation. You know, they're, you know, sports psych. So, I mean, sports science will tell you that. Right. You know, it's it's like three that up, one down type of thing. It's changing. Yeah. And I, so I write in three-week blocks, right? I don't, I don't do four-week blocks. I write in three-week blocks. And I'm like, I'll take 90%. I feel really good about that. Um, and by the third week, so by the third week, the athlete's on and they can hit that pace. And now most people be like, Oh, well, you know, you didn't really fully adapt that energy system. And I'm like, well, that's fine because one, don't be so blindsided by energy system development. Mm-hmm. Don't be so excessively focused on it. Um, because I've never seen an energy system like make a decision late in a race that they want to win. Right. The energy system is certainly going to give you the capacity to do it. Um, but if I had to choose between a person who had the mind to make decisions versus the person who had like the perfectly developed energy system with lacking the decision-making, I'm going with the person who can make the decisions. Hmm. Um, but then also I argue the reason to be, the second thing I consider about like why it's faster is because it's the second time that they have to figure out that, that rhythm. It's so much quicker because once you figure out one rhythm, the other rhythms tend to fall in place, Right. And so, so I do think the adaptation is faster and faster because they're starting to lean on skills that they've used to, to explore that and unlock that for themselves. So it becomes a familiar process. And then you get, you get this confident athlete with a little bit of swagger who knows themselves a little bit better, who's ready to take a little bit more risks, a little bit more chances in the race. And I don't know. I, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's certainly a long view, but at the same time, it's, I, I think it's a shortcut. Hmm. It would certainly like, yeah, when you're going through it, it made sense to me, especially when thinking of it in terms of a kid on a cross country course, right? Like they will race better if they figure this out themselves. Like they will absolutely do that just because it's not always about like hard time and hard metrics for, for something of that, of that nature. And even like a trail runner or or an obstacle course racer, like a lot of um, people I'm interacting with, it's not necessarily about those type of metrics, but it is still something that people want to make like want to like talking about checking off boxes they want to to 
to know that, that they've run XYZ and hit these type of paces to, to build them toward a time that they've kind of just like thought in their mind is where they, they should be. Where, yeah, where do you that, stand? Up? Yeah, but think about that though. Like how many times have you like seen an athlete say, the fitness is there, I just got to get my mind right. Mm-hmm. How many times do they say that? Um, the, how many times has a coach said like, oh, they're so fit, they're, they're ready, we just got to get the, the last piece. And it's always the mental piece that they're talking about, right? If the fitness is there, but the mind's not there, they're not expressing the fitness that they've earned. And so this is why I'm like, well, let's go from day number one to figuring out getting the mind right. And letting the fitness yeah. follow instead of trying to put the fitness in and asking the mind to follow because it's not working that way, right? So everyone always asks me like, well, you know, having seen kids win college conference championships, be all American on a sprained – a girl sprained her ankle two weeks before stepping on a rail to track and still became all American, 1188 and 100-meter dash. Freshman steeplechase conference champions, High school All-Americans running 10.03 in the DMR. People are always like, oh, how? It's always about the mind. It's the mind first. Unlock the mind for these kids. Win their heart and their soul and their mind. And the fitness is easy. The fitness is never in question. Because how many of us are going to write like a VO2 workout the same way, but it might look a little different? How many of us are going to write a threshold workout? And it's going to look relatively the same as the other threshold workout. You all the same. It's all documented. You can't, it. you can't slice those things any different. Right. right. The intensity is the intensity. Right. It's like a VO2 workout is going to be a VO2 workout. Like, yeah, if you look at it a little different, fine. Right. So it's, it, the difference isn't in the VO2 workouts, not in the threshold efforts or the anaerobic efforts. The difference is in the mental readiness and the heart and soul of that of that athlete. So I, I just think that we need to create systems that let that flourish. So you flipped it, essentially, like instead of like fitness first and then we'll see how the performance goes and how they can mentally adapt. You just make sure right off the jump that. Well, I, like, I don't even know if I would, I don't even know if I'd say I'd flipped it. I said, I, I feel like I paired it. I feel like I paired it from the beginning. Mm-hmm, right. Right. And so the fitness is still part of it. It's not yeah. like you're not doing it. And to get into people's wheelhouse about fitness, like it's like, you know, the person who waits for the final three weeks to put speed work in, I'm like, I'm doing speed work from the beginning. Let's do it from the beginning and we can do it in small doses and we don't have to do it crazy, but let's do it. Right. Let's not, let's not leave it to chance at the end to find out how you're going to react. I need to know how you're going to react in the beginning. Right. So when I think about like the PRTC right now, like, so I'm working with uh, a 10 K athlete, my wife and I are writing training for them. And they're, they're, you know, they've made the Olympic trials before. I mean, they're like an incredible athlete and like, We've got this big race coming up in March for his 10K, and we're running through a big block of 10K rhythm work right now with some doses of speed work. Because I want to know in this like this primer, like how's it going to go? Are we going to how are we going to reflect on how that experience went? Because it gives me a ton of clues on how I can then skew the training for the next couple months, so I don't so I either make good on the things that went really well, or I can change the things that felt like I wasn't totally prepared, right? Instead of leaving it to chance for one final day but mm-hmm. using it as an exploratory experience leading towards a final day. I like that too. And, I, and that's something that I try to do with most athletes I coach is have the speed present at pretty much all times uh, for, for similar reasons, right? But like, wh- why do you think there is a, a pushback on on that? Like, why is it that like, like it needs to be like this linear thing? It's like base work and then like whatever it is, you know, threshold, 10K, 5K, whatever the work 
progression ends up being. What is that pushback there with like the coaches and athletes? It's a ton of stuff. I mean, could be, I mean, tribalism of like, this is what I believe. And like, I'm in this side of the spectrum versus that side of the spectrum. It could be, you know, fear of athletes getting hurt, which is a myth. Um, It could be so much, you know, it's, it's, it's stoking the coals of what makes athletes and coaches uncomfortable. Um, And we tend to, as educators and coaches are educators, we tend to go to what's comfortable instead of go towards what's uncomfortable. Um, You know, I, I used to be just an endurance coach. I ran five in the 10 in college. I, you know, and I came into high school coaching. Everything was the mile and the two mile for me. It took me years to figure out the 800. And then I finally did. And I did it because I started coaching sprinting. Hmm. And I went to a ton of sprinting education and I found out who the best sprint coaches were that I could learn from. And I learned from Vince Anderson, Boo Schechnader, Kava Tolbert, Dan Path. These were the names that I was like researching online obsessively. Um, And they unlocked a world for me uh, that was like so impactful in endurance training. Right. And so like the unknown became less scary. So I was able to put speed work in earlier. Um, but I used to be in the camp of like, oh, you don't need speed early. Strength is the greatest speed because um, that's how I was raised. Right. Mm-hmm. But the more that I've learned what speed is and how to apply it in appropriate ways. I mean, my athletes have been so much more prepared for it, but I had to I had to unlearn that bias. And it was a really difficult process. And it took years to do. With the the sprinting, could you. Talk a little bit more about that. Like what led you down that path? I mean, I'm guessing it was out of necessity almost if you wanted to coach sprinters. Um, but what were some of those principles that you kind of took away when like kind of diving into the side of, of sprinting and yeah. learning from the sprint coaches? So I got into sprinting because I, I wanted to be like, an old, I want to, I want, I'm, my goal in life is to be an old school track and field coach. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, that's, that's like not most people's goal, but that's what I want for myself. I'm currently learning the throwing event and, and coaching the throwing events right now at, at Evington Friends School. It's a blast. Nice. Um, I got myself a DVD from Boo Schechsneider. I'm going through their teaching progressions. So this, this is part of like why, Rich. The other thing is because I watched kids like, so I had this kid at Germantown Friends who was a 48 second quarter miler. And they walked away. I wasn't coaching these sprinting events at that time, but they walked away from our program saying, like, you can't help me get better. Um, And that, like, crushed me because I was like, oh, my God, we're not actually able to meet this, like, superstar athlete in our world. Hmm. Um, And and they were getting, you know, they had AAU coaches that they really believed in. Um, and it just, you know, I, I don't need to get into the AAU versus the high school right. thing because that's just, you know, it's tough. The matter is that this kid felt more served by their AAU coach than I did their high school coaching. So, so it, it caused me to sit there and really ask myself like, well, what kind of coach do I want to be? Right. And I found myself when I started learning to coach sprinting that, that it became much easier for me to connect with more kids in my school too which has helped me connect with more adults because now I have this greater understanding instead of just this one niche that I'm working with, which is like I'm working with people who are all endurance athletes, but now I'm seeing people who are sprinters, jumpers. I coach hurdlers. I can coach throwers. It's a blast. Right. And I have so much more fun for it because I'm, I'm connecting with so many other people. Right. And so that's so much of the motivation. Like I'm totally obsessed with like, just like 
human interaction and wanting to hang out with people. Like that's something that like I, I, I enjoy. Um, the principles of it, um, just like figuring out like what a distance coach thinks is speed versus like what a speed coach thinks is speed is like a fascinating fissure. The fissure is that like, uh, you know, high school, uh, so distance coaches think that speed is one thing and sprinting coaches, well, speed power coaches see it totally different, right? And so there's this idea of absolute speed versus relative speed. Um, distance coaches tend to think of relative speed as they, when they refer to speed and they're like, Oh, 5k intervals, that's speed work. I'm like, no, that's not, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's strength work. Um, mm-hmm. that, that could be race rhythm work. Um, but it's not speed work. Speed work from what I've learned from the speed power world is, is absolute speed development where you're doing 40 to 60 meter sprints or, or doing activities that, closely resemble that even if at sub maximal speeds um, could be straight leg bounds, right? Could be um, flex leg bounds. It could be, you know, skips for height, right? Those are all things that mimic that, or it could be acceleration development. How am I getting up to speed, right? Uh, with short hill sprints, like five to eight seconds long, or I'm doing, you know, skips for distance, right? Those are some things that are some qualities that I could do, you know, not just in terms of like I did block work, right. Or something along those lines. So those are, Mm. those are some like principles of sprinting that I have learned um, in terms of like the absolute speed, which has helped me get a better sense of the relative speed because I, um, I do, I do look at Frank Horwell's work in terms of the five pace theory as something that's like a really guiding principle for me in terms of endurance events. Right. And so the five pace theory, basically looking at like, say say I'm working with someone in the five K Well, the two paces above and the two paces below are the major influencers. So 10, 10K rhythms and threshold rhythms would be the slower or relative strength work efforts. And the relative speed efforts would be 3K rhythms and mile rhythms, right? Um, you know, and so I look at that as this like as a really important guiding work for me in terms of like how I look at endurance uh, event preparation. So, I mean, it's all, it's, it becomes like this really unique puzzle in your head as you start to see all these different things come alive. Um, but then seeing the commonalities between sprinting, middle distance running and the 300 hurdles or 400 hurdles, it's like, it's like, oh my God, how can I coach those events without knowing the other two? Um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work as well. Right. And with the five pace, the, the, you know, the, the two paces relative above and below, like the race pace thing, and then working in something like speed work, which would be outside of like, uh, maximum speed work, um, would, would fall outside of those paces. Like, how do you justify something like that? Like someone who like to, to put that into the, the programming itself, like how would that help that five pace theory? Yeah. Um, and, and where does that fall in line with like design of things? Yeah, it's awesome. So I, I, I told you early that I had coached an 80 year old sprinter. Yeah. Uh, one, which was, which was a blast. Um, super, super cool human being. Um, and, I also coached middle school as well. And most people would be like, wow, 80-year-old sprinter and a middle schooler, there's nothing in common between those two. And I would totally disagree after having coached them that they are coordination-wise in very similar spaces. Um, and the one is on the downward trend. One is on the upward trend. Oh, I see. <laughs> they are in very similar coordination spaces. Um, and – that is a really important moment for me in terms of the value of 
of doing these speed qualities of acceleration development, speed development um, in athletes of all ages um, because I need to improve their coordination. Um, I, need to improve, I need to improve their absolute strength levels. And a weight room is not going to drive up those sprint values. Only the sprint values are going to drive up their weights in the weight room. Right. I mean, there are so many um, intelligent coaches from the track and football consortium that will drive home that idea to you so hard. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Right. Um, and so when I went to Earlham, we inherited a team that was ninth and 10th in the conference in every event. And so my wife and I were co-head co- co- coaches together. And one of the things that we decided was uh, for this first cross country season, this, we inherited the same group that had gotten ninth the year before. Uh, what we were going to do is we're not going to focus on endurance, but we're going to add in, we're going to go after the pace, the rhythm of the race. That was the biggest goal. Um, and throughout an entire season of threading in some absolute speed development, some acceleration development, race rhythms that were within that five pace theory, um, and not really focusing on how long is your long run? How hard are you on the roads right now, right? Um, that team went from ninth to sixth. Hmm in the conference and just missed out on fifth. And people were like, what is happening? They're like, how many miles a week are you running? I was like, honestly, these collegiate runners are running like 30, 40 miles a week because that's, they just can't run on the other days because we're so asking them to do the race rhythms. Huh. Right. Now year number two, we were able to maintain the race rhythms and explore more, more work on the roads. Right. Year number three was even better. And at this point, the, the men had gotten third in the conference. The women had gotten third in the, you know, third or fourth in the conference. It was amazing, right? And we let the volume grow off of the intensity. Now, that freaks some people out because a lot of people like to go intensity, uh, go from volume first to the intensity, which mm-hmm. is fine. I mean, however you want to slice it, I don't care, right? Um, but when I was directly with high school, college, high school and college athletes, we had made these decisions to go with the intensity and grow the volume. With the adults, we go from volume and grow the intensity because I just know that's where a lot of them are in that space. I do meet some souls on the adult side of the world who like the intensity, grow the volume, but they tend to be more of the like middle distance people in their brains. Right? They, still, they still think they're not distance runners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's like a little bit of the application of it. And then also like the specific application, where would I put it in a week? Um, you know, for the 10K athlete that we're working with, looking for the trials, um, on Wednesday, they do a like, you know, 12, 14 mile run, uh, you know, cause they're a high volume. And then, uh, on Thursday we ask them to warm up full warm up, and they'll do some 40, 60 meter sprints or some speed quality based things. Uh, and then they go out for, you know, an eight, nine miler. Um, I also believe in the warm up, doing some short Hills, like two to four short Hill sprints as a part of your warm up. Um, cause it works coordination. It works absolute strength, but it also puts them in a full range of motion. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm really very keenly aware of is when we run on the roads, we express a really limited range of motion repeatedly for a very long time. What are we doing as endurance athletes to break up that narrow range of motion? And it can't just be in my core circuit. It has to be in actual specific activities yeah. right that are running specific not general because core is general work right but running specific work so that's where short hill sprints 
um, 40, 60 meter sprints, skips for height, skips for distance. Those are all very specific skills that are easy to put in for three, five minutes before a run to work open that range of motion in a, in a specific to the runner way. When you talk about coordination, um, this is definitely, it's talked, it's talked about less, right. It's like in terms of a distance runner, like, like, and I feel like it can be just confused with, you know, hand eye stuff or whatever that people might interpret as coordination. So like when you're talking about that, what does that, what does that mean? And like, is that quantifiable? Is it visual? Like, and you mentioned the 80 year old, the middle schoolers, like, and, and, and having that type of, um, and being able to identify that they're kind of the same, (laughs) like, like what, like, how does that whole piece work? Yeah. Well, it starts with like, I don't, you probably have noticed that I've been mentioning race rhythms way more than race paces. Um, I'm more of a race rhythm kind of soul. doesn't mean I'm ignoring the paces. I don't want to come across as like, this guy doesn't care about paces. I'm not there. Um, but I'm eyeballing more the rhythms of what I'm watching. And I think when you watch an athlete run it, you can tell when they're at a speed, whether that is something that they have coordination to like express. Right. And so when I think of rhythm, I think of like, can you run the speeds that you're looking to or the rhythms that you're looking to? Are you coordinated enough to do that? And it's really hard. Right. And so athletes, when I think about my sprinters, right, we all, we've all seen like the classic idea of the 400 meter sprinter breaking down as they run down the straightaway the last 50 meters. And most people walk away saying that person needs more endurance. Mm-hmm. And I walk away saying that person needs more coordination um, and most likely more acceleration development um, because they're no longer being able to express coordination at the speeds that they were at right? They ran past their coordination levels. They ran past these speed limits that they have, right? And how do we break those up, right? And so I'd use jump ropes with my sprinters all the time to try to get them to express coordination at longer levels. Hmm. And so I'll also do that with my distance runners, right? What's the goal? I want you to have this rhythm, all right? So most set coaches be like, well, we have to do mile repeats, well, if you don't have any rhythm at mile repeats, I well, what's wrong with 1200s? What's wrong with 800s? What's wrong with 400s, right? And so if you can express rhythms at four or 600 meters, and then we can grow that rhythm to be 800 to a mile, to me, that's the coordination I'm looking for. Can you express a rhythm for a longer amount of time? And when that breaks down, I, I see that as a lack of coordination. So again, it's kind of like breaking out of like what that argument for like developing energy systems, right? Like you touched upon on earlier. Cause that'd be the thing. It's like, why would I run when I could do miles? Why would I do 400? It's like, that's not going to completely develop me. But again, it's kind of like, like making sure you're able to do the appropriate work yeah, and, and it, getting there. It's certainly getting away from like an energy system, like focused view. And yeah. it, it also don't want to come across as saying like, wow, this guy doesn't give anything about energy systems. No, I, I, I pay attention to them. They're just not, there's just not as much in focus as they used to be uh, for me, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, say that, that example of that workout, like eight by a, eight by a thousand with a minute recovery, that's 8,000 meters worth of work, which is roughly five miles. Like, what does it matter if I get 10 by 800? Like if that athlete can get me 10 by 800, which is 8,000 meters, but if they did thousands, they can only get me 5,000 meters. Well, what's the better investment, right? I mean, I need to ask myself that. 
Well, if it's track season, I don't know. That might be one answer. If it's cross country, it might be another answer, right? And so I get to make decisions based upon what I'm seeing as to like the capacity of an athlete, the coordination of that athlete, like the rhythms that they're adapting to, the rhythms that they like versus don't like, right? And get a sense of like, how do I make decisions for them? Or how do I create a system that has enough range for them to be choosing for themselves to be successful? And that's just the, like, just the overarching piece. Like, you are a, a coach who has a lot of experience with the application of things. So you don't need to do that, lean on the energy systems where a lot of people will just be like, well, this is what I know is to be true. So this is what kind of works. Um, it just like, just kind of putting that out there in general. Like, this, it, like, you can tell, like, you're actually coaching people <laughs> as opposed to just, like, regurgitating the the science behind, like, why someone might get get fitter or faster, you know? So, um, yeah. so I would argue though, the biggest goal of understanding the energy systems is to know what recovery you need to apply to what work. And, and within the, within, this, I within mean, a, a micro within the workout yeah. or within like the week, both, both the density, like the, so we've got three vol, we got three parameters. We can mess with the density of, of all of our work. We can mess with, mess with the intensity of it. And we can we can mess with the re, like um, the volume of it, right? The density could be like how often you're doing something within a week, but it also could be how often you're repeating that within recovery of a workout, right? Well, I would argue, and you know, I learned this from Dan Papp, who's like this like way smarter than most humans I've met, coach. That like you can, and, and I've been applying this for like four years now, and it's amazing. Is that the intensity takes care of itself, and the volume takes care of itself. Because if you if you write a workout thousand meters repeats with a minute recovery, that athlete's gonna they're only gonna be able to do so fast with a minute recovery. Now, if you give them two minutes recovery, the intensity goes up because now they can run it faster because they're getting more recovery. And the volume's gonna take care of itself because you know you're gonna get like for thousand meter repeats, roughly five to eight of them is gonna be the general number that we're all gonna write, right? No one's really writing anything catastrophically different. And if you are, I don't know, the coaching trees of the world go berserk on Twitter about that and have opinions on one corner or the other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would argue that the biggest thing that we're in control of is density, right? Through rest of work, but also through like how often you repeat work in a week. Hmm. So yeah, so like having the actual like knowledge behind like what that's going to do, that makes total sense. Um, and just to kind of go back on the coordination part of things, when people are, how could someone tell within themselves during training, like if they're bumping up against that, like coordination ceiling, like, because like, you, like you're like, it seems like visual on your own, like you can kind of see and kind of tell like what, how could someone identify that as a limiter and maybe need to work on more like absolute speed or some of the coordination, um, development stuff. So I think they can, I think, I think an athlete knows when they feel like a fish out of water, right? Something feels like really foreign to them. Mm. Something feels like really awkward or they find themselves like breaking down towards the end. And it wasn't because like they were just out there for a long time. So they were doing like, I don't know, 200s on the track or 150s on the track. And at the end, they just like, their legs are getting like, they're getting funky and wobbly and stuff. Like that's a coordination issue as much as, it's a development of speed issue, right? Um, I think so. I think they know when they just don't feel right. 
Mm. I, I trust that athlete to be able to express that for themselves. And we talk about it because I'll notice it and I'll sit there and be like, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> and they'll be like, uh, not, not good. I, I'm really falling apart at the end. I think I need more endurance. And then we have that conversation, which is like, yeah, it could be endurance, but it also might not be. And, and so here's how we're going to try to fix this first, which is we're going to do a speed development. Right. But I think about this in terms of a car. Right. Like if you wanted a car to go 80 miles per hour down the road, would you buy the car that could only go up to a maximum of 80 miles per hour? Or would most humans look to have a car that can go 100 miles per hour, even though on the back of my mind as, as a person who bikes, we don't need cars to go in that fast anyway. Right. <laughs> but that's a totally different conversation. Um, I would want the car that can, that can go over 100 miles per hour or has at least the capacity to do that, right? Because that makes 80 miles per hour smoother. You're, you're talking to somebody who owned a 1972 Volkswagen Beetle for their first car. And I melted the engine block down on the Atlantic Expressway when I was 18 years old with my two best friends. And the car <laughs> shook at 70 miles per hour. But oh the car God. also could only go 65 miles per hour. And I was forcing that car to go 70. But that, that steering wheel would shimmer back and forth while I drove it. My friends thought it was hilarious. And I would get, down, I would get out of the car and I'd still be shaking a little bit. Like I would argue that that car needs an investment of like a little bit more speed before it can get onto that highway. And I think most people would totally agree with that. Okay. So like we take this to the runner now, which is like, great, you've done your threshold. You can go 60 miles per hour. Great. You've done your VO2 work. You can go your 80 miles per hour. Congratulations. But you haven't done any work to get you that, that, that gap between your absolute fitness and what you're trying to put on cruise control. And cruise control can only be a cruise if you've created a gap. And that's the speed reserve that track and field coaches talk so beautifully about, right? The speed reserve is the gap between your maximal and what you're trying to basically repeat at, right? And so we look at any athlete and it's like, well, how can you repeat five miles per hour if the best mile you can run is five miles? I mean, is mm -hmm. it five minute five mile? Mm -hmm. yeah, if you're trying to run five minute miles for a cross country race, but you can only run a five minute mile, you're, you're toast, Right. You, can, you can't run that until like – you need 430 milers to be able to, to do that, right? And so there's a gap between like that maximal fitness, right, and what they're trying to repeat, right? And so this is the value of putting in speed development, acceleration qualities, but also going to the faster end of that five-pace theory and asking that athlete to develop speed qualities within them so that the repetitive thing feels smoother. It feels like it's more in cruise control. So you do have to explore it. You just have to kind of go there, right? And right. Just and you, to to, you need to do it intelligently because most of the time when you explore speed qualities with people who either have like purposely avoided it or mentally don't like it, there's reasons for that. Either they have been bought, been sold a narrative that they're not fast, either through performance or a coach saying to them like, oh, you're not fast. Um, we, we, we coaches unfortunately tell people that they're like strength athletes only. And I'm like, why would you do that? You've just told that kid they're not fast. And now that work you're going to try to do, they're not going to feel like they're getting any better on it. And so it's like kind of like it's a rock and a hard place for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So we need to we need to be able to like work on it in intelligent ways. And so for this 10K athlete that's running, that's trying to make the trials this year. It might be that we need to do skips for distance. That's the only speed qualities that we can do. Maybe it skips for height that, because they're just not in a space to do like actual get on the track and go 40 meters full tilt. And maybe after doing a couple blocks of skips for height and some straight leg bounds and whatever, 
on the track that we can start to put in some 40 to 60 meter like speed development runs. Great. That's awesome. But we got to do it in a way that feels true for that person. Right. And that might be that we have to start with small doses and grow it. And even a small dose is huge for some people because some people still avoid it and, they, and they're desperate for it. They just don't know they're desperate for it. And I mean, talk about that with adult runners, right? Like adult marathoners that they just never even consider touching that because it is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so I, so I, I coach this kid, Pat McLaughlin. He's on the Philadelphia Runner Track Club. I coached him back in the day before I went to Indiana. And, Solid Irish name. <laughs> Good yeah. Irish man. Um, and so Pat is uh, ran 50 minutes and change for the Broad Street Run. It was like 5.08 a mile. And this was like this out-of-body experience. Pat ran 5.08 a mile, not after we got done like blocks of endurance work. Pat got done Pat, – Pat ran that when we got done like the relative speed side of the world for Pat. Because what it did is it finally offered a gap between his cruise control and what he was capable of expressing in, in a one-time bout, right? Mm-hmm. And Pat, if you talk to Pat today, he's on the Philadelphia Running Track Club. He will still tell you that was one of like the best days of running that he's ever experienced. And, and I firmly believe it was because of this faster side of things. Like, what does it take to run a three-hour marathon? Like, what type of 5K do you need to run? Like I would, I would say that a woman who's trying to qualify for the Olympic trials running 240, you got to be able to be like a 16 and change 5k runner. Like there's no, and I've seen women who are like, well, I want to make that. Well, what's your five, like what kind of 5k workers are you doing? They're like, well, I'm not doing any, or I'm doing them at 18 minute pace. So it's like, all right, we need to get those workouts down into the 16 and change world. So you have that buffer between you and what you're trying to rhythmically go at. And does that work within the five pace? Because I'm just thinking like, okay, when when does that stop, right? Okay, okay, then you need to run a 3K this fast, a mile this fast, you know, like you can go all the way down. Or does it kind of stay within that, like the very bottom of the um, five pace theory then? Well, don't don't get me wrong. You don't have to race those paces to work out at them. No, no. Yeah, yeah. So like, so if I said to like that marathon, I'd be like, hey, well, if you want to make the trials, I really think you need to be able to be like 16 and change and ideally low 16, sub 1630 would make me feel a lot better about it. Um, I'm just saying you need to be able to do better 5k workouts at that type of runner in order to create the buffer. Right. Mm -hmm. And too many people go like, well, I can't run a 1630. I guess I'm never going to make the trials. No, that's not the thing. The thing is, can you do the work? Not can you do the race? Can you do the work? Right. And so this is why you could have a half miler working out like a sub two minute half miler and they might only be able to race 210. But who cares? Like you're opening the you're opening that window of success for them by creating a different buffer for them. So I'd argue you get to create the five pace theory for yourself. You get to adapt it how you want. So you have this 5K runner. You don't have to go 3K mile. Maybe you maybe you merge 3K pace and mile pace together because they're very similar. 3K capacity and current yeah. mile race pace are virtually similar in my opinion. Um, and then you can put 800 meter development if you really think that that's a huge piece for you. This is where the coach gets to have the creativity and the adaptive abilities to make something come alive for themselves, right? We don't have to stick to templates, right? Templates are helpful when, we, when we're trying to figure things out. But as we continue to grow, we get to like make those templates what we want them to be for ourselves, right? They're just, they're just empty canvas, like in like a quirky, like dorky way to say it. <laughs> um, so kind of going back to like the, the telling an athlete their, their 
fast or not fast or a strength athlete, right? Because that also like you can kind of boil down to like, I'll hear this sometimes, like the the muscle fiber type in which they are more like predisposed to have, right? Like either slow twitch or fast twitch. Do you just think that is just bullshit or is it just like, and just like being able to, because that'll be a, a, a person's reason to, to continue to do strength work because they would adapt to that more based on their muscle fiber type. No, I don't think muscle type, fiber type is bullshit at all. I, I totally I mean, in terms of training yeah. around it is what I mean. I know that it exists. It's a thing. Yeah. Who's got the money to do that is, is my question. Like I don't have the money to do that. Whether I was in college, the PRTC or high school coach or middle school coach, I don't have the money to do a biopsy to find out what their muscle fiber type is. And, and who wants to cut the body open to get a biopsy? Like I, that's a lot, Rich. Like, I mean, that's, so here's my, here's one of the arguments for writing like five pace theory is you get to start to see like how an athlete adapts to things. So I had the, I had the pleasure of coaching a 408 high school junior uh, at Germantown friends before I left to go to Earlham. Uh, and, and this kid ran 408 as a junior and this, this is a smoking fast. I mean, he's a four minute miler now in the NCAA system. So what this kid did was his junior, his sophomore year, we did a bunch of half mile race pace work early, uh, in the indoor season. And then we followed up with some strength work after that. And then as I was reflecting on the season, I was like, man, I just feel like we weren't, it just, something wasn't right. So I was like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this risk. I don't know if it's right. But instead of doing half mile work this year, we're going to do mile rhythm work and we're going to explore mile rhythm work early. And then we're going to back it up with some strength work. And the kid went from like a 417 indoor miler to a 408 miler. And people thought that it was like the most amazing thing. And it was really cool. But this is just like, like you're finding out like what makes sense. Right. And so I was able to sit there without doing a muscle biopsy for this child to figure out like what rhythm really connected with them and did they love. And at the end of that year, they went from a kid who could run like 157 to 153. Like, whoa, that's like crazy development, right? And it was just all about like skewing the work. This kid loved to work really, really hard um, and he still does. And doing the mile work was just, a, I guess my, my assumption is that it was a little less invasive for them. They mm. could cover a little bit faster, but they could also do a little bit more of it. And it made them that much more stoked in terms of their mental like excitement for it. I don't know. I, there's something there that I wasn't, that I was like putting together for myself um, before I left. Right. And so I don't think you need muscle biopsy. I just think we need to like really pay attention to, hey, I love strength work. I love threshold. I do, tempo runs just make me so excited. That's beautiful. We still need to do uh, some mile race pace work. I'm sorry. We're going to do small qualities of it. Yeah, you're going to do a five-mile tempo run with four 300s at 3K race pace, right? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Like you can really dose this in in small ways. And you're saying to themselves like, yeah, this is like the kid. I've got a three-year-old. Like, Nathan, yes, you do need to eat your vegetables with your dinner. I know you love the other things, but the other things are cool, but you're going to still have this small thing because I know you need to have it, right? It's very similar for, for, for coaching. They're avoiding something for a reason, and when we give it to them, we tend to give them too much of it. Mm. When we got to find four 200s, at that pace or whatever small, make it as small as possible. Make three 200s. Give them more rest than you think they need. Slow the pace up a little bit. I have no idea. But get them in that world doing that work, even at the tiniest bout, will change them in ways that they're asking for us to change and ways that one more thousand meter repeat won't change them. 
that I love the idea of dosing it in that in that way and just giving it, especially like at the end of a workout that they might like, or or just like mixed in throughout, just so it is a little bit of 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 both worlds for them. Um, and earlier you talked about the misnomer of athletes getting injured with speed work, um, just having it, it, it present. And this, I think this, like working at this really like absolute speed area would throw up some mental red flags from that realm. Since they're not doing much, it's, it's, it is uncomfortable. Like running, I never find to be painful. Like people say, well, that was painful. Like it's like not necessarily painful, but I think sprinting can almost be that way. <laughs> it can get well, to the point of pain. Sprinting terribly painful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, those are those flags that throw up like pain is then like the signal to like, try to have you avoid injury. Right. So like, so I I look at that in a couple ways, like, yes, we could get injured, but you can get injured doing one more thousand meter repeat too. Right. Um, injuries like overuse injuries tend to come when we do too much of one thing. Right. Which furthers my argument of why we should work with multiple paces on both sides of the race. Right. So that we're giving the body different rhythms, different ranges of motion uh, to give the body a healthier view of of running. Mm Because the more that our body can express full ranges of motion through different rhythms, the healthier we'll be. Right. That's one piece. The other piece is like in my warm up, you know, having learned from the intelligence of people at Altus and Dan Path and all those like. I went down to Arizona to watch a con to watch this like apprenticeship coaching program from Altist. And they had like five practices. It was the most unbelievable thing I've ever witnessed. Um, I watched the warm up five times a day for five days. Um, it's the only thing that I latched on. I literally latched on just their warm up. Everyone else was watching all their stuff. I watched the warm up so much that I could, I could like, I could talk to these athletes. I felt like, and it obviously wasn't true, but I felt like I could like, I knew what the coach was about to say because I watched it so intently. And then I went home and implemented this warm up with my high school team immediately. Um, and the warm up got away from the open the gate, swing your hamstring, right? The muscle based warm up. And it went to more of a foot strike and preparing the foot to hit the ground type of expression versus the classic stretch perspective. Mm-hmm. It had dynamic flexibility in it, no doubt, right? We do leg swings. We do things to, to prep hips through dynamic flexibility. We absolutely do. But we do a ton of foot strike and a ton of like sprint mechanic expressions in this warm-up that I stole from these coaches at Altus. And they want you to steal it. That's why they invite you down there. <laughs> um, but it was the best thing I ever did. I watched it. I took videos of it. I study it still to this day, right? About like, what does it mean to like prepare the foot to hit the ground? Right. And when you can prepare the foot to hit the ground, then when you do the 40 to 60 meter preparations, it's not scary because they have been doing those every day. Every day our warm up is including sprint development, like types of foot and positions, uh, foot strikes in terms of like positions within the body and dynamic flexibility and everything. Right. And it takes like 20 minutes or so. But then when I go do faster things with my, my sprinters and my, my distance runners, I'm not scared because I just tell them, hey, what we did in the warm-up is what we will do here. And I've never had a hamstring pull ever. And I would argue those that are pulling their hamstring have poor mechanics that are in search of refinement. So just prepare it, like being properly prepared ultimately, right? Yeah. Like make sure, like don't just go out and 
and sprint. And when we talk about like the fo- foot strike things, are these like A skips and B skips? Like what? Absolutely. Things like- yeah, A skips, B skips. Um, just, but there's also some walking. Like how are we teaching the um, – so Dan Paff had the – like he, he referenced like this like personal like um, hypothesis that they had about like um, the gait and walking and heel striking. So a lot of the warm-up is heel strike based. Uh, it's not that you're asking runners to go out and run heel strike based. That's like an important – thing to say uh, but we'll do some walks like some lateral walks some karaoke walks uh, some crossover steps uh, we do some backwards walking some ankling some calf dribbling some some like knee dribbling right um, we do flex legs straight legs um, we do all types of things right and most of it's classic sprint type of like drills people would call um, but but i'm trying to talk to the kids about where their where their hips are where's their posture um, where are, how's their foot striking the ground? Like, are, you know, what are you doing in those moments? Right. Um, those are, I think those are really important conversations, but we have to learn sprinting as endurance coaches to do it. And we have to learn sprinting from the right people. And you've mentioned a couple, what, what was that? Altus and Dan Paff, you've mentioned a couple on that. Like, what are some of the resources yeah. for that? If I, if I was to go, I would, I would get on Twitter immediately and I would follow Kaba Tolbert. Um, I would look at Bruce Schechtsneider. I would look at uh, Stuart McMillan at Altus. I would look at Dan Paff from Altus. I, you know, and I would start to find, and, and I've done this. This is like a sad thing I'm going to admit to you right now, Rich. I have looked at who they follow uh, on Twitter and then followed those people um, because I wanted to have consistency in the conversation. And I, and I felt like those people knew who they were looking to learn from and they had done the filtering for me. So I didn't want to have to do the filtering for me. Um, But uh, Latif Thomas at uh, Complete Track and Field, I believe does a a really wonderful job, like, you know, talking about like development of sprinters, especially like at the high school level, which is where many of us, whether we're adults or not, are in the developmental spectrum of, right? Is how are we development? You know, we don't have to go to um, the cream of the crop. Ideally, they're doing the fundamentals anyway, which is something I've learned, uh, so I would, I would talk, Bruce Schechtsnader has a, has a website with DVDs. I mean, the DVDs are incredible. Like literally gives you like a teaching progression. It's like, it's like paint by number for sprint coaches and throwing coaches. Um, so I do, yeah, I do a lot of that. Do you have a, D, you have a DVD player? Is that what are you saying you have um, these DVDs? I have an external hard drive that my, my, that my work offered me. Yeah. So I do have a DVD player. Nice. But it's an external hard drive on a Mac and the Mac is loaned out by the school. I'm not big into technology in that respect. Just, just plug it in. DVD goes in there. Um, yeah. Cool. So when, when it comes to performance on the, on just kind of flipping it back to like the, the mental side of things real quick for let you go. Um, I found that there is almost like this level of, of buy-in that can kind of separate athletes who are high achieving um, versus those who want to achieve more or who haven't quite got gotten there yet. And everyone has things going on in their own life, right? Like there's always uh, different limiters and, and what people can actually physically do. Um, but from the mental side of things, like the, the, the buy-in and just the, the, the prioritization of things is different from what I've found in terms of like coaching different athletes. Um, have you found this or, is, or have you been able to successfully like facilitate any type of, of like, like buy-in or uh, like, like a mental side of like what it's going to take to perform well. Um, how does that all work with like the philosophy that you got going on? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm like totally understanding what you're driving at. 
Can you give me a little bit more? Yeah, I guess it's like, do you find it to be your job to make people care more about? Oh, that's a that's yeah, that's a great that's an easy question. Um, no, it's not my job to make people care more. Yeah, um, that's a really hard statement to come to as a coach because in the beginning I thought like I could help people care. Um, it is my job to create an environment that allows their talents and to come through. And that means I need to look at them as an athlete. I need to look at them as a human being. Um, I need to look at them in, in some cases as a child. Um, and, and that is no easy task, right? I need to look at the fact that um, I need to understand their, their race. Um, I need to understand some of their background, background and, what they, and where they come from to get to this moment, right? And if I can create an environment that, that sees them, then I believe that their care will come through. I do believe that everyone would, everyone who shows up cares in some capacity. Mm. I got some high school kids who, who show up because they need a sports credit. They care. They just care about getting their sports credit. Okay. Right. Like let's, let's, let's do this thing, right? Let's do it. Let's get your sports credit. And I know going in that you only care about sports credit and I'm okay with that. I got some basketball players that come out just wanting to get better for basketball. I'm okay with that. So understanding their motives helps me support them. Understanding what they're going through every day in terms of just their humanness helps me support them. And then I can let go of the fact that I need to teach somebody to care because I, I can come to it assuming that they all do care, right? You know, quick aside was like, I once coached this, uh, this girl at Germantown Friends School and, and everyone always lamented that like their, their outward affect uh, was very laid back, calm, and and almost deadpan, and it, and it messed with people. Like I just, they just need to want it more, was what they always said. Um, but inside, this child was a burning furnace of intensity, but just on the outward expression would offer you nothing, and it messed with me. But it, the thing that I had to come with to the understanding was that it was me- I was messing. It, I was looking for something. They weren't looking for something. So I was reading. I was looking for cues that I was doing the right thing. That's not the child's responsibility. It's not the athlete's responsibility, right? I need to have the confidence in a system that I'm putting forth for the, for these athletes to be successful, right? And that's like a really hard realization, right? There's that work that we need to be doing as human beings, right? That's like everything around like social justice that we need to be like asking ourselves as individuals, like, how are we meeting this moment? How are we bettering ourselves? Right. And this all adds to our ability to coach, Right. And and help create environments where people can care. Right. Not teach them to care, but create an environment where they can care. Right. And so this kid that I referenced about this deadpan face, you know, everyone always lamented they didn't want it bad enough. And one day at the independent state meet, this girl stood up at the 200 meter line and ran through their body, basically, like and scored the most unbelievable points in the 200 that I've ever seen. Two events later, showed up and dropped a sub 6,400. And you can't question the intensity of that child. And they did it with a deadpan look on their face. But I was able to look at that child and say, oh, my goodness, what you have just done was so special. They could not compete the next, that weekend at the Friends League Championships, which was like in the Friends League world, everything. But we couldn't have won the independent state meet without them doing that. But we could have won the Friends League Championships without them because we were we were more developed than the other programs at that point. So this athlete got to watch their teammates compete. 
But it was never in question about like how much that child cared, even though their outward expression may not have matched it. Right. So I offer this to you because sometimes I think that we like we as coaches are looking for some level of affirmation that we're what we're doing is creating change. Right. Whether they're caring more or they're doing like the things that we should be looking for change in is can they do like the race rhythms that we're asking for or is the work that we're doing connecting to them in a way that they're excited about it? Like that's the change that we should be looking for. Not necessarily like, is this person going to want it more? Can they grit their teeth more? Can they take the right photo so I can put it on a website and say, look at this like picture of masculinity or picture of like intensity uh, that's going to fill some like cup that I need to drink from. Um, I don't know. I mean, so, so I have all these thoughts in my head about that, Rich. It's very raw to be honest with you. Um, but the idea of caring is like, I don't know. I, I, I was a terrible college athlete and I cared so much and I just think I cared in the wrong ways. I think I would have been such a better athlete if I, if I was taught to care more about other things. Like, no, don't just be a distance runner. Like, what are you doing on campus to be a better human being? I think I would have run much better, right? You know, because I've become a better coach the more that I've cared about other things. The more that I've become a parent and the more that I've, like, cared about other events, like, I've, I've become better at it. Instead of, like, having some obsessive focus on one singular thing that, like, I can narrowly define myself by. Is that how you what you would attribute it to then? Just the the idea of like identifying as something or having self worth tied into something, like having it spread out as like the person that you actually are, like and 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 like rising the tide of everything. Like how do you how do you, like what do you attribute that to? Attribute what to being becoming a better coach by becoming a, a parent or by being or by yeah, having. It's give me space to see people more as who they are and, and not see them as like someone I plug workouts into and, and receive an output from, right? Mm-hmm. It's that I can look at them and care about them and be like, oh my goodness, like, yeah, we should not do this workout today. You did not sleep. Like, go, you don't even need to be at practice today. Like when I, at Earlham, we had this, we, we had this woman run 1188 and become an All-American in Division Three for the 100-meter dash. They show up to practice every day 10 minutes late, but it was the 10 minutes that they needed to like take a reset from all the stress and trauma of being a student on campus brought them. Okay. Right. And I would never have been able to see that if I never was a parent or had seen like other things come into life. If I only had ever adopted a singular focus, I was able to see this kid not as a hundred meter dash runner, but as a human being who was readying themselves to the world every day to get through. And we had another athlete who needed to show up to practice like four days a week. And they were all conference. They were conference champion in the 800, 1500, and the 3K steeple. And they needed to show up four days a week. We had practice six days a week, mind you. But they just wouldn't show up. And, and most people get like really frustrated by that. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is what this soul needs. This soul needs a lower density of work, right? And they were going through so much internally for themselves that – we were able to, my wife and I, to look at this, this child, because even the collegiate kids, I still like, there's still so much child, right? Um, is you get to look at them and you get to say like, yeah, I'm going to give you that space. And I can give you that space because this is yours that I'm facilitating for you. Um, not mine that I'm, I'm sharing with you, right? I'm, I'm letting you have some of what I own, this, this program, right? Then this child like one day missed the bus to a meet, the Indiana D3 championships, was so like 
connected to our program, that they got themselves a ride to this meet, showed up a half an hour before the women's steeplechase, won the steeplechase, and then came up and was like, I'm so sorry I'm late. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Like, you showed me how much you cared. It doesn't matter. Like This was like an unbelievable expression of who you are as a human being, to show care for yourself and your teammates. And yeah, I'm just glad to be here with you. That's really cool, right? And this this kid, this kid once won, did, won four, ran four events at our college championships in the in the conference meet. Like I, I don't know, I just think you that's how you gain care out of kids, right? Um, is that we have to stop believing that we're the owners of track practices and and that we're the owners of things. That no, we're just facilitators. We're facilitators for athletes. Um, we're there to make their life better. Um, they're not there to perform for us. Um, I think that's a huge distinction between the two things, right? That creates care. That's my position at the least. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue that it's the only position, but that's how I have grown to see it. No, that makes total sense. And you could like, with anything, you know, you clearly like have like, think about these things a lot and all the scope of that is coaching and not just like down the line and having it be like, there's nuance to things and like you clearly have thought about the nuance and like how that, that all works. So I do appreciate you sharing that. Um, so I know you got a role, but I, I had a great time. This was awesome, man. Um, yeah, thank you. So, I appreciate pushing me on some philosophies in my head. Some of the things that I, I tell you, like if we talked in like in two, three hours or two, three weeks, I'm continuing to like ruminate on ideas like coordination and things like that. So um, I want people to know that like, if they have, if they ever need to reach out to me, like I don't, I have an email address that I'll, I don't text and I don't do any of that other stuff, but I'm, you're kind of hard I'm, to find stuff on. You're kind of hard to, yeah, hard to find. yeah, I don't really, yeah, I don't do Facebook. I don't do Instagram. Um, I do Twitter, um, but I don't interact on, I, I just, I, I'm that person that reads conversations on Twitter. Um, but I, I'll email, but you can't really text me because I don't own a cell phone plan. It's kind of great that way Good for you. Um, but I'm happy to interact with people that if, if they interact with you and they ask for my email address, I'm, I'm happy to connect with them um, and share what I know. I, I don't want to come across as like some guy who has some like absolute expert knowledge. Um, I just have trying to accumulate a lot of things that make sense to me. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you can hear in some of my words that some of these ideas are still raw in my mind um, and I'm okay with that. Um, so I don't want to come across as a sports scientist. I am not. Um, I'm, I'm a coach and I'm, I'm somebody that just like deeply cares about performance first and foremost. So, that's where I'm at with it. Totally, man. Well, I, like I said, I appreciate that. I get that from you. And that's what's so nice about like this type of forum is just being able to like speak those words and like solidify or like see exactly like how that philosophy, it was what I found like in my brain, how it actually just kind of manifests like, oh yeah, I do think that that is right. I do believe that. And that's yeah. how it, and I came to this by, by way, but yeah, no doubt that you're yeah. definitely going to have things kind of yeah. switching and changing because you're going to do a lot of thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, sorry to the people if I if they talk to me in like two hours and I've got a different sorry it just means <laughs> it's shifting not completely just like dumping but that's this but like that's the difference between coaching and like the, the the scientist side of things where people want things to be black and white like a coach shouldn't have black and white like approaches to things like it should always be this yeah. evolution so uh, well, it was told to me that like we should be backed by science not led by science and I think that that's like a really beautiful way to consider how I view things. And I think that's a, a good way to, to open up the possibilities of what you can do with an athlete and not having to be stuck to one specific model. Like when you approach it that way, it's like, well, we can do it. You can do whatever you want. 
<laughs> you know, creativity is like everything we show in life. Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you I want. Work with training plans, be the best of training. So yeah, so yeah, creativity is fun. So no, this was awesome. I, I thank you for for connecting with me and talking with me. So cool. Yeah, I'm gonna hit stop here, but we'll go back to that green room thing, and that'll be that. So um, follow Rob nowhere, and uh, hopefully you got some good info. So we'll talk yeah. to you soon. All right, that was awesome. Rob is great. He really is an absolute pro, great coach. Um, really excited about that conversation. So, again, if you enjoy the Reinforced Running Podcast, hook us up five stars. That'd be awesome. We'd really appreciate that. If you could say something nice, that would also be really cool. It really helps us get found, and we just appreciate that. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>